Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, don't let Ja Rule plan your vacation. Don't let Ivanka Trump write a book about working women. And let's try to save Michelle Obama's girls' education program. Plus, listener questions. What to do when your boss calls you sweet? And men who really want kids while their female partners aren't so sure. Hi, Anne Friedman. Hey, Amina Tuso. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Not much. I'm like laying down today completely. I feel great. I'm in a hotel bed, aka where I do my best work. <laughs> <laughs> um, how's the hotel? Did you order some good room service? I haven't actually ordered room service yet because there's a breakfast taco place in walking distance. And I was like, this is worth getting up for. But Damn. I don't know. Like hotel productivity is real for me. I like if I ever if I ever write a book, I'm going to like bake into the contract. Like I need several weeks of a hotel stay to like write this and like <laughs> Here's my adult Eloise writer, please. Oh my god. Yes. The Eloise writer. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I have an incentive though. I'm like I want to if I want a few pool hours today, I got to get my work done at a reasonable time, you know. This is not true. I mean, this is technically true at my house. I could like drive to the pool at a certain time, but for some reason at the hotel it's like more real. Man, I had um I've had house guests for a couple of days, mm-hmm. including a 3-year-old, almost 3-year-old, and he's gone now and I actually miss him, and I was like, "Man, this is I have nobody to talk to today. This is very upsetting. (laughs) Oh, man. Three-year-old house guest is like some real real adult living right there. He's the best. He's the actual best. He's maybe the funniest human being on the planet. And I was like, nobody will do today. It's it's done. It's done. (laughs) I'm very very upset about this. Are you like an empty nester? Like the house is so quiet (laughs) and you're kind of The house is quiet. Yeah, the house is quiet, but it was never super loud. It's just we eat the same snack combos. Mm. There's like good ice cream in my freezer. And now I'm like, man, this has all come to an end. My charmed like living like maybe I'm just like a big toddler is the problem. I mean, toddlers... Snacks, naps, things that we enjoy. I know. I like watched a lot of uh, Disney Clubhouse, which is actually hilarious. Wait, what is that? Oops, one second. Um, It's like, oh, sorry. I think that's room service. Or wait, hang on. There's a knock at the door. (laughs) Go on. Sorry. Not to do too much promo for the Disney Clubhouse, but Disney Clubhouse is this hilarious Mickey Mouse driven TV show with all of the other Disney characters. So like Minnie and... Pluto and I didn't even realize there were two dogs in the Disney universe. Wait, what? The other dog is there's a dog yeah. other than Pluto. There's Pluto, and then there's uh yeah, there's another dog. It looks like a he looks like a grown man. Like he'll definitely kidnap you. Who's Oops. the other dog? Sorry, one sec. You know, I was out of my room, like I said, feeding my face with breakfast tacos and working by the pool for several hours. And of course, now that I'm trying to podcast in here, it's like the the worst luck, <laughs> worst time. Oh man. 
One day, one day, when we have the portable studio situation, don't you worry, boo-boo. Uh, well, listen, when we when we have our chain of hotels for business lady travelers, complimentary caftans <laughs> in every closet, and like podcasting <gasps> booths on site. <laughs> oh my gosh, everything we're building towards is for that. That's a million okay, dollar sold. idea. Uh, that's a billion dollar idea. <laughs> Get it together. Yeah, caftans are included in the price of the room, and we're like, please take it with you. What are we talking about today? I mean, we have had many requests to discuss the debacle that is the Firefest or Fire Fest, as I like to call it. <laughs> Fire with a Y. Fire with a this y. story, I'm very baffled by the story. Well, no, I'm not baffled by the story because it is a scam as old as time. But so, okay, let's explain to the people what Fire Festival is. Fire Festival <laughs> is a festival curated by one rapper named ja rule you might remember him from the 90s you might remember in the early 2000s right from music videos featuring like crotch rock and motorcycle gangs like that's like what i always exactly you know like he he prominent features in ashanti and jlo hits and uh so him and this kid whose like name i'm not even gonna bother to look up but definitely like a scam artist they decided that they love the beach and they love festivals because and why? What was the precipitating event to them like figuring this out? I believe they had to make an emergency landing on a somewhat difficult to get to island. And they were like, this is great. We should glamp here and have an amazingly high priced music festival. <laughs> so this is actually the real gag, right? Is that they sold it as like some sort of exclusive island. But these two fools had already landed there. <laughs> so they knew it was a deserted island practically <laughs> like... Those things are not the same. But so anyway, these two fools managed to convince many people to buy tickets to come to a music festival in the middle of nowhere, Bahamas. The music festival industry is booming. Like they've done everything. They've like camped at Bonnaroo, done whatever you do at Sasquatch. Like all of the other ones aren't that exciting. So like, of course, let's go to the Bahamas. Right. The other genius of this is that Ja Rule and his like millennial scam artist friend convinced all of these uh, social media influencers, such as uh, Kendall Jenner, Shiji Hadid, Bella Hadid, and some lesser who's to promote this event. And so everybody's like, oh my gosh, I get to go to the Bahamas. Kendall's going to be there. Bella's going to be there. Can I interject and note that they called these people fire starters? <laughs> yes, fire started. Fire with a Y. Fire with a Y. Don't forget. There's so many red flags. On the entertainment list, so Kendall is uh, supposed to bring the good music crew with her, which like that's Kanye's label, right? So everybody's like, oh my God, this festival is going to be good. But they literally just say good music. It doesn't say who in good music. So it could have been anyone. And then the other entertainment was like very shady, like Blink-182. I don't want to tell anybody how to live their lives, especially these like younger millennials. But like if you are going to a music festival curated by Ja Rule 
where Blink-182 is headlining and it's the year of our Lord 2017, you should really look at your life and look at your choices. Like something ain't right. I mean, I also, I understand, right? Like, I, I understand where... If, if and what about this do you understand? Wait, let me finish the sentence. I was going to say, if you're, you're the sort of person who has, like, stacks of money that you like to set on fire, which is, like, the target audience, I think that's what the fire and fire festival is really referring to, the stacks <laughs> of money that you like to burn. I'm like, maybe it makes some sense, right? Like, those are people and choices that I don't truly relate to. Like, I think that that is why the internet... And like people who did not attend or attempt to attend this thing are enjoying so much. It's like, oh, like this kind of like abstract rich other who we love to hate, right? Like we love to hate them in like Coachella fashion photos. Here it is. Like it's all like blown up in their face. And isn't it amazing? No, I hear you. Right. Except that a lot of the stories that we heard are from kids who are like, well, that was my entire rent money. And I (laughs) spent it going to Firefest. And I'm like, listen. This is not a good investment of your rent money ever at all. Well, never make that mistake again. <laughs> I know. It's just like, it's crazy. But so anyway, Firefest. it turns out that like there are weather issues. It turns out that um, not, there's zero infrastructure on this island and that they have told all of the celebrities to stay away, but they forgot to tell the other people to stay away. <laughs> 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 and for the rest of for the rest of the story, just Google Firefest and go to town. But and like some of it is like genius, right? Like I saw somebody tweet about how uh, the real thing that we're forgetting here is that these Instagram models basically lured rich men to their deaths. <laughs> <laughs> And how easy that is to do. Way to go, proletariat. Like, we're, this is, this is going to work out for us one day. Uh, but, but yeah, I just like, th- this like festival economy like really baffles me. Because it's one thing to be like, oh my God, Kendall's going to be there. Like, whoever the people are. But it's like really wild to think that you have a chance at interacting with them. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like a lifestyle creep that's really unattainable and actually like very dumb. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people doing it for the geotag, right? Do it for the geotag. (laughs) (laughs) To be like, you know, I'm here. Like, anyone can go to all these other festivals now in the way that I'm sure this was sold as like an experience you can't get anywhere else. You know, you're not paying. Oh, you should see the deck. You'll die. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I can't even quote from it. It's like every stereotype you have about that. Like, I will never make fun of Coachella ever again. Okay, so the real point... So so back to that genius tweet about celebrities, like ladies luring wealthy people to their deaths or like, you know, maybe not deaths. That's not Modern true. sirens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> D- lure, yes, luring them to like an uncomfortable and expensive experience. That's more accurate. I'm like, what can we, what can we learn from this to actively use? I'm like, mm, do we tell people that we're building a luxury golf course somewhere and like there's a special <laughs> deal for donors to Ivanka's dad to like come and experience it? I mean, I'm like, I'm like, this is actually kind of a, a genius class warfare technique (laughs) i know it's so easy to kill rich people they're so stupid like this makes this is it's like wow the the class wars the class wars will be one faster than i thought it's true and look just make it a remote enough place that they're actually trapped and you're good to go the thing that is making me laugh so hard about this is how like ja rule's apology was trash like he was like he kept saying in the apology it is not my fault (laughs) yeah they're like we got in over our heads and it's like no shit (laughs) yeah it was like a we we uh we we had to build infrastructure and roads and uh everything that happened is like 
they kept saying unforeseen circumstances and i'm like can you really claim unforeseen circumstances when you lure people into a like uninhabited death trap like i don't think that's a foreseen circumstance unforeseen circumstances (laughs) is like a hurricane or you know oh which that also happened it was like on top of the fact that they're like taking people in the middle of nowhere like also like weather occurred sure but that was universally acknowledged to like not be the reason this fell apart (laughs) yeah these people are yeah such a scam we'll see if every like if everybody gets their money back i can't wait for the like some sort of heavily fictionalized version of this in a movie i would everyone would watch i know starring zach efron 100 i would watch it completely completely oh man speaking of movies i want to watch can i tell you on CNN, there was a crazy special about this lady FBI agent. God, that sounds so condescending. Lady FBI agent, but whatever. I'm sticking to my guns. Who they like sent her to go investigate this ISIS man who is a failed German rapper who then like went to join ISIS. What's up with like European bros who can't rap who become ISIS members? It's amazing. But Anne, she's supposed to investigate him and then she married him. <laughs> And the whole time I'm watching Anderson Cooper talk about this, I'm like, stop talking and write the screenplay. <laughs> this is not working for me as a CNN piece. Like, I need any Catherine Bigelow to get on top of this. Right. Oh, my God. Yes. Zero, zero dark sexy. I'm like, can you please make this for me? I mean, where is Lifetime when you need the original movie? <laughs> oh, my God. The whole I was just like glued on the TV and screaming. Our friend Spencer sent me the article that like made me watch the thing. And I was dying oh yes see so many things that only need to be lightly fictionalized if at all in order to be perfect perfect movies yeah i want to get all of my news from fictionalized versions of like scandalous things Speaking of class war and fantasy, Ivanka has a book out. <laughs> oh my god, that's so that's so strange because her father can't read. <laughs> this is blowing my mind. Well, and oh, let me tell you, I've ordered a review copy, so stay tuned for my complete oh review. Oh my god! Um, oh my god! But what is the book about? Being an evil daughter? Okay, good guess, but no, it's about being an evil like corporate feminist. I'm air quoting feminist. Um, It's called women who work rewriting the rules for success. And I'm like, huh? Okay. So have a rich father. That's a rewriting of the (laughs) rules of success. Totally. Right. And also I'm like, Oh, women who work like as if this is a category of women who are exclusively like on corporate boards and working for corporations that bear their name, a fortune article, which LOL fortune also published the exclusive excerpt from her new book. A fortune article points out that she only mentions her nanny twice in the entire like course of the book. (laughs) 
that's a woman who works hello i know exactly and that's what i mean about her definition of like women who work it's very clear that um it's like you know women who go work in a corporate office and not women who clean the homes of and care for the children of other women who are at corporate offices so yeah one of the quotes is some of the best photos of the kids were taken by my nanny during the day (laughs) and then parenthetically i'm sure in 10 years i'll convince myself i took them I mean, in the same way that she can convince herself that like women who work only applies to women exactly like her. What a, the scam artist, this woman. I know. And, you know, I have to say, though, on this front, I mean, there's a lot that's uniquely evil about Ivanka, but not acknowledging the other women who help make her work possible is sadly not like a unique thing to Ivanka when it comes to a certain category of books. Yeah, I feel like the only celebrity woman who has ever talked about her nanny is maybe Amy Poehler. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other good examples. I mean, and I also, here's what I don't understand. Like, as a writer, I'm like, oh, you know, the thing that is like makes for good writing is mining things that you are kind of conflicted about or uncomfortable about. Like, that is where like the interesting stuff is. It's not like aphorisms about, you know, it's hard, but we persevere, you know, like that's actually really nonspecific and boring to read about. I'm like, what's interesting is like, yeah, but that's exactly the books that like these women write. Exactly. I mean, that's why they're bad. They're not interested in good writing. They're interested in like formulas about how they're somehow they're superheroes and the rest of us can't measure. I know that superwoman trope applied to like just woman who has a corporate job and children and like a big financial cushion is so, so tired. I would love for somebody to do like a photo essay project on like whoever like the powerful women are like the entire teams behind them. I want to see the nannies. I want to see the gardeners. I want to see the glam squad. I want to see everybody. Totally. And it's like you at your desk and then you surrounded by like the entire team. It's so stupid. But also there's so many of these books. Like I don't know what Ivanka has to add to the conversation about women who work and like much a shade to her. But like what exactly do you do? What is it about her work that's not powered by just having a rich dad? Yeah. And then also like, what about, you know, so there's this whole thread in the book and in the excerpt that I read that's about how she wrote it to like bust the myth of being a superwoman. But it's like, no one thought you were a superwoman. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) You're like, you were a superwoman to yourself. Like, oh my uh, God, nobody is saying this. (laughs) Also, can I please read you to that end? Can I please read you another excerpt or another quote from this excerpt just because it will. Yes, please. Okay. So she writes, I began to wonder whether I had been doing women who work a disservice by not owning the reality that because I've got an infant, I'm in my bathrobe at 7am and there's pureed avocado all over me. I realized that it might be helpful in changing the narrative, even in a small way to, for example, debunk the superwoman myth by posting a photo that my husband candidly snapped of me digging in the garden with the kids in our backyard, my hair in a messy ponytail, dirt on my cheek. I've been careful not to pretend it's easy because it's not. Oh Ah! my (laughs) God. 
Man, this entire episode is about class warfare. It's like, wow, for her, like, class level, this is hard work. It's like gardening with your kids in your million-dollar garden. First I of know. all, if you live in New York City and you have a garden, like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? You live in Manhattan, sorry, and you have a garden. Like, yeah. I'm going to make a lot of assumptions about you. Like, PS- just stop. Yeah, you're feeding your child pureed avocado. That is like a $5 breakfast, like, like uh, for each one. I'm sorry, avocados are not cheap and then also just I don't know like the idea that everything about this image where she's like like the fact that I had she she writes I had been doing women a disservice and not like I had I had not presented the right narrative because yeah, I didn't post a photo garden for women you've been like, doing nothing for women <laughs> nobody thinks that you're a superwoman the only thing that we think is that you're a failed jewelry designer and a failed teen like model so like don't flatter yourself <sighs> I know. I mean, and, and also just like this idea of what's changing the narrative is not to acknowledge the work of various types of women who work and like in various types of jobs. But what change, what's changing the narrative is talking about spilling avocado on your bathrobe. I can't. Yeah. You know, this also goes to the core of so many of the empowerment conversations that we've had before, right? It's you can always tell whether something is worth it or not by like who the person thinks that they're serving this is completely self-serving if you are trying to like build up your own image or trying to build up your own brand or you're trying to solve like your own very specific problem and you try to masquerade it as something that you're doing in service of all women like everybody will see through you yeah and that's the textbook definition of like this is not feminism it's not it's like you trying to you are trying to sell a book or you think that you're deeper than you are or you like so many things, but it's like, this is empowerment. Like it's not feminism. It's not the same thing. Right. Like write a memoir called like my life as an heiress. Like don't, don't write something that's called women who work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's just like, it's so nuts too. how much, uh, I don't know. It's so condescending, right? This idea that, uh, there's something noble about work, like obviously. Right. But this coming from people who are so dismissive of like, any kind of labor organizing or you know like have zero respect for people who are actual workers like capital w and uh it's just you know i like and they get away with it they've been getting away with it for generations and they're getting away with it now it's so condescending also guess what nannies buy books like childcare workers buy books you know what i mean it's it's also crazy to me where i'm like part of this is also the system right of being like who do we think is actually engaged in issues of like work and life balance? It's like, there's an assumption, not just by like the Ivankas of the world where that's definitely true, but also I think like in like publishing and marketing, it's like, I'm sorry. Like I know women who do that work too. And they are also interested in these questions. And it's like, it's just so, there's a part of me, like even from like a purely capitalist standpoint of being like, you're not doing yourself a service by writing these women out of the narrative completely. It's so stupid. Yeah, it's so stupid because I guarantee you that this book is not going to sell well for like many Oh my reasons. God, yeah. Here's an exclusive in Fortune. You know what also doesn't sell well? <laughs> Fortune magazine. So <laughs> all, of, all of this is like a big waste of time. You know, like it seems very like cool and glamorous and like whatever. But it's my God, you could get so much better bang for your buck. But also this is actually very condescending. It's yeah. really insulting. And it's just like very much in line of the entire conversation that the mainstream has about work-life balance. It's always like through the eyes of like white women and through the stories of white women. 
the conversations that we have about childcare, like all of that, you know, like all that stuff. It's like if you start talking to people who come from different backgrounds or who are different races, like all of that applies to them differently. Women who are not white traditionally have had to work outside of the home for like longer than everybody else. They've never had right. So that's not a home. It's like they have to work outside of the home and they don't have like options. It's like they're watching your kids. Like, who's right. It's like women kids? who work the story of like women of color forever. Like, you know what I mean? It's like the, the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is not a new concept. It's like actually, yeah, like black women have been working since, I don't know, like day one of getting to America because they never had a vacation here. Totally. And, you know, it also like this, this reminds me too of, you remember the conversations about when, when Michelle Obama announced in like 2009 that she was going to first focus on, you know, parenting Sasha and Malia and wasn't going to announce like a full slate of stuff she was doing and wasn't going to keep her job. And like, some people flipped out at her. And, you know, I think she eventually, but also lots of other writers were quick to point out, no, no, like this is her actually breaking with a long held narrative and tradition. It's not the same thing as like, don't read her as a wealthy white woman in this situation and try to like apply the Ivanka narrative to women like her. And so... Yeah, I'm like, mm, good job not busting a single narrative, Ivanka. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And here's the other thing. Speaking of Michelle Obama, the only floatus will ever acknowledge. So you remember that girl's education initiative yes. that she was working on? All of those fly photos from around the world. It's like Michelle Obama and Meryl Streep go to Liberia and like all of the cool vacations she got to go on. Working <laughs> vacations. Anyway. Guess who has dismantled that program from within the White oh, House? Oh, let me wait. Uh, is it? It couldn't be Ivanka's dad. No. Oh my god! It. Oh my god! People are saying. People are saying <laughs> it's Ivanka's dad with the blessing of Ivanka's stepmom, undocumented immigrant Ivanka's stepmom. That one. All of these fake stories about how uh, Ivanka and her husband are always trying, you know, like they're the moderating voices in the White House. They're, you know, like they're the the New York liberals or whatever. And this is the stuff that she's saying that she cares about, like women's empowerment and women's like economic opportunities. Why would you got a program that literally goes to the heart of educating young girls and makes it a priority? Somebody please show up to Ivanka's book event if she's having any and ask her about this specifically. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like the it's not like the White House is like pouring money into this thing. It's honestly like largely symbolic. It's a priority and it signals to other countries that it's something that we care about. Yeah, it's like this White House is so useless. They don't do anything, and anything that's good, they, like, take away. They well, listen, those them. trips to so, Mar-a-Lago aren't going to pay for themselves, okay? You need to cut some initiatives to up the golf budget. Oh, my God. I saw I saw this thing about how, like, Congress basically allocated, like, extra, extra money for their security, and I, start, I was like, I have to close the computer yep. and go away. This is the... Yeah, scam artists. The whole episode's about scam artists. This is the, another great scam somebody's running on our country. Well, and also speak, oh speaking of totally disingenuous narratives, right? All of that drain the swamp bullshit only to, you know, commandeer this massive budget for weekly vacations. Like, that's the sort of thing, too, where I'm like, you know, oh, just because you say, like, you tell people over and over that you're going to, like, change the narrative or that you are, like, taking some kind of stand or taking a risk, like, doesn't mean you actually are. <laughs> Probably means you're part of the problem. Probably means the swamp runneth over. (laughs) Yes. This is madness. Okay, these people. Ugh.
Do you want to take some listener questions? I want to take listener questions because I'm really upset about this. Okay. Let's 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 see if these listener questions will make me more upset. <laughs> From a reader. Uh, we don't have readers, we have listeners. From a listener. <laughs> My boss doesn't understand why I'm offended by being described as sweet. Any advice on how I can be a boss without being sweet? <laughs> Oof. I have two words. Unvarnished opinions. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh those are two really good words that should be your memoir oh my god <laughs> <laughs> unvarnished opinions the Anne friedman story oh my god i'm writing it in my like potential memoir titles note definitely right now um but seriously i do think that paying a little bit of attention to how you are couching your opinions in language that might to you seem like it's kind of making it easier to swallow I don't know. I also think that there's something about listening, like going back through and like reading some of the emails you've sent or trying to pay more attention to the words that you hear coming out of your mouth and like then picture a man saying or writing it. And if you can't, then maybe that's part of what's going on here. Not to say that like, you know, act like a man. I'm not trying to say that. But like, I I think that historically, and we've talked about this before, men do not mediate their opinions in the same way that women do. Yeah. And also, if you are close with your boss, because I think this is actually two questions, right? It's like, why doesn't my boss understand why I'm offended by being described as sweet? I think you can, if you have a good enough relationship with him, is tell him like, hey, it's tough being a young lady in the workplace. I want to be taken seriously. And when you say that about me, it connotes that I'm not a serious person here. So help me help you help myself. And if the boss is a woman, because this listener did not indicate whether the boss was a man or a woman, like, I think that that's like another interesting wrinkle, right? If you have a close enough relationship where you're talking about stuff like this, or clearly- If your lady boss describes you as sweet, you should probably murder her. Oh my God. <laughs> Come on now. I'm just kidding. I don't condone murder, but let's talk about it. <laughs> you, you should send her to an island festival organized by Ja Rule. Exactly. Here's <laughs> Fire Fest organized by Ja Rule. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, like this, this, this letter also indicates that um, the listener has already said, hey, I'm offended when you describe me as sweet, which doesn't sound like sweet and compliant to me. So I feel like that in and of itself is a good, like first step. That's the name of my memoir, sweet and compliant. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> sweet and compliant with like a circle exactly. and a slash through it like Ghostbusters. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the only time I'm being sweet and compliant is when I'm trying to scam somebody out of something. So that's perfect. Good to know. <laughs> Except for with you, boo-boo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Next question. I wanted to reach out, read a question. I feel like you're all uniquely suited to answer. Wow, so much pressure. Especially as, uh, <laughs> as I was listening to your coverage about millennials men's decreasing desire for equitable relationships, despite the small sample size of that study, and your constant reports on how shitty maternity leave and childcare resources are in this country. My question is, am I the only one who is instantly turned off when a guy says that he really wants kids? This has become a point of contention between a lot of my female friends and I, and I'm not charmed by male co-workers, boyfriends, dudes on Tinder who gush about wanting to take a kid to T-ball, who cradle someone else's baby <laughs> lovingly at a barbecue. I want kids, but the prospect is also terrifying, primarily because I know my body will fundamentally change, as will my relationship to my career. And no matter how much these men believe in gender equity in the abstract, no matter how much raising a kid can be a partnership, I know that they will not have to feed a tiny human with their own bodily fluids. They will not have to recover from an emergency C-section. They will very likely not have to negotiate their career as much as a woman will. 
Am I taking this all too personally or being too cynical about the prospects of an equal partnership? This becomes trickiest when I start when I talk starting a family with my boyfriend. He's adamant about wanting one, and again, I want one too, but I'm trying to reconcile that desire with what I feel are very legitimate fears and also a strong commitment to continuing to build my career throughout my lifetime. The prospect that birthing a child for someone slash him is simply a given. And that if I have reservations, I can be traded in for a more willing, wide-hipped woman. Oh, that's a slight exact. That's a slight oh, exaggeration, but hey, what? just leaves me more frustrated. I'd love some advice about how to articulate this complicated, but I feel important point of view. A friend of the podcast, Bryce Cover, wrote an article. I think it's a few years ago now. That was that was very much about this. Essentially, hetero couples in which the man was very excited and sure he wanted children and in which the woman was very unsure about this. Like essentially exactly what you're talking about. And, um, and yeah, and, and it's definitely for all of the reasons that, that you say of like acknowledging there's a fundamental lopsided nature in hetero relationships when you've got kids to like who bears what burden. Basically, are you taking this too personally? No. Are you being too cynical about the prospect of equal partnership? No. Uh, Are you the only one instantly turned off when a man says he really wants kids? No. You know, there's also two levels to this, right? There's the hypothetical of like when somebody just says, I really want kids and you like can roll your eyes and like feel however you want to feel about that. But I think that like if you are in a relationship with someone, that's a different conversation that you have to have because the possibility is now like very real and it's not abstract. And so I think that like with your own partner, you have to negotiate like what that means, right? It's like if your partner like really, really wants kids more than you, then you have to have the real talk of like, well, would you be willing to be the one that stays home like while I continue to work, you know, and seeing what all of those, it's like, that's where the compromise is, right? It's like, what does that conversation mean for your finances? What does it mean for your career? What does it mean for who is the primary caregiver, And I think that for me, it's like if your partner is like, I really want children, but then they're not willing to like budge on this other stuff, like that's the flag. Totally. And I think that you're right. There are two different scenarios of like, you know, someone who you're on a first date with versus someone you're in a relationship with. But I do think that if this is something that is front and center that you're worried about in terms of how your life is going to change and you are in a serious relationship with someone who like either will not make the kinds of sacrifices that you just described or is not willing to discuss it, then yeah, like that's the red flag. Because here's the other thing is that this is the kind of the advantage of being in a relationship with someone who wants to do this is that then you get, you get to like put some of the, you get to put the ball back in their court. You know, it, I think that it is a kind of a wild assumption that every single time like women have to be the primary caregiver. If you are so blessed to have a partner who is really thrilled about having kids, that's something that they should consider. Totally. Yeah. And, and the ability to have that conversation is in some ways, I think like a nice barometer of like, how is it going to go if you actually have kids, right? Like this is like, if you can't have it abstractly before, before you even make the decision, like a lot of other conversations are probably not going to go so well for you in real time. Exactly. Good luck. Good luck. Godspeed. You're not the only one. Amina and Anne, I have been binge listening to your podcast since the election, starting from the beginning, and have loved it all. As a male listener, it has been great to hear your perspective on, well, everything, 
Even though I'm gay and have many female friends, feminism, periods, etc., are not topics that we would normally discuss. So your podcast has been an essential learning experience for me. My question is about friendships. I'm turning 30 later this year. Happy birthday! Hey, hey, welcome to a good decade. <laughs> I know. Welcome to a great decade. And more and more of my friends are in long-term relationships, getting engaged and married, etc. When my friends enter into relationship, it often means they have less time to spend with me or when they can hang out, they're less fun boyfriends slash girlfriend is the default included. Amen. Needless to say, I'm already dreading when my married friends start having kids. As someone who lives alone and isn't dating anyone, despite earnest attempts, friendships are really essential for my well-being. I'm curious to know what your experience with your friends has been like and if you can help put this into perspective for me. Cue sound of empathizing exasperation from Amina. Rude. So rude. <laughs> so, so rude. I am not exasperated, but I do empathize. I, I seriously, I'm, I'm reading along with this email and I, I didn't know whether that was a note that you had put in or whether it was part of the email. <laughs> you thought I would like to refer to myself in the third person? I don't know. It's just weird. It's just, like not how... <gasps> the fact that you said I don't know cut me so deep. <laughs> Listen, maybe Gina put this in here. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. No, it's, All right. from, um, it's from the listener. <sighs> this listener who is very attuned to all of our exhalations. I know. It's just like, ugh. Okay. I mean, this is like a when friendships change question. That's fair. But it's like when friendships change for like very specific thing, like very specific reason. Totally. Totally. I guess I'm not, I guess it doesn't need to be categorized like, but you know, it does, it seems to me in like, in terms of other questions we've talked about, it has something to do with that as well. Totally. First of all, welcome to 30. 30 is great. 30s slash post 30s is great. I'm sure 40s is even better. So I don't know. One thing is to realize that like, yes, you're absolutely right. Like your friendships will change and uh, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It really doesn't. But I think that what it is going to test is how much your friends like value your lifestyle as much as they value theirs and make you kind of realize like how important you are to someone. I will say that like a lot of my friends are having kids and I am 100% enjoying it. Like, that's a thing that I used to be really afraid of in my 20s that has not materialized as like a, oh my God, and then everybody disappears, like kind of thing in the 30s. Like, obviously their time is very limited. You are definitely on their clock and a lot of things. But uh, I don't know. It's been, it like that part of friendship for me has been really fun. I think what's hard for me about this question is just the breadth of it. I mean, for me... A friend starting a new relationship or having kids, any of the things mentioned in this email, like the way that that has affected our friendship has really varied a lot person to person. And you're right, like some of it is how much that friend continues to value and ask questions about and remain engaged in like the not in a romantic partnership, not having kids, like whatever lifestyle like applies to you currently. Like some of that is just person to person like who is still engaged with you and not completely sucked into this other thing that they're doing now um but it's also you know i mean i think it also depends a lot on the nature of the friendship before the change occurred too like when i think about a lot of examples in my life like friends who i maybe um saw quite a lot socially in like a bigger group but like didn't have a great 
one-on-one relationship with, like they completely disappeared from my life if they couldn't, you know, be part of the same group hangs anymore because kids reset the schedule. Whereas friends that I had a really strong one-on-one relationship with, I feel like I've tended to keep after they have kids in, in a really different way. So like, I don't know, like part of this to me is like, it's hard to sort of say like there's a blanket truth to how things change. And I think like, I don't know. And this is maybe why I, um, why I said I heard this as like a changing friendships conversation because fundamentally part of me thinks that the advice that we've given to other listeners who have other friendship questions applies, which is just like, you know, talk about your needs. (laughs) I think it's okay to say like, I've noticed that our friendship has changed since, you know, you've gotten into this relationship or since you've had kids or like, here's, here's what I would like to see from you or here's what I miss or finding ways to um, articulate that rather than just assume that you know your friend is gone forever and then and then yeah and then like expect as well that like they should care about staying friends and like staying engaged with you as a as a human I don't know that's my that's my two cents I mean I I agree obviously with all of your advice but I think that there is also a reason that it's hard to have those conversations because in this context you know I think that a lot of people think that somebody having a kid is very, very much more important than like your single person, like hanging around lifestyle or, you know, and the same thing with like with that. So I think that, yes, on the surface, it's like really easy to say you should have those conversations. But I think that kind of what you need to get at is to know and to see if your friend will respect like where you're at in life as much as you respect where they're at in life. If essentially like you are still compatible that way (laughs) and it, you know, like what it means to them, because I think that where a lot of times like where the hurt is, is where you feel that like you're kind of like what you're doing doesn't matter because you're at a different stage in life than somebody else. Yeah. But all of that said, I agree with all of what you're saying. I particularly want to let this person know that you can be pleasantly surprised by people who have kids. It's like once the kids start having personalities, it's actually kind of hilarious and fun. Also, who doesn't love shopping for somebody else? I do. Totally. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I just want to echo what you said, too, which is that like the feeling of it is somehow more important to be spending your time investing in a romantic relationship or like investing in your kids. Like somehow that's like more meaningful or more important or like a more noble life choice than whatever you're choosing to do with your time as a single person is bullshit. And um, if someone makes you feel that way, they are wrong. (laughs) That's all I have to say about that. Boom. Call your girlfriend out. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Oh, see you in the pool, boo boo. <laughs> see you at the after party. 